everybody i hope you're doing great and having an awesome week so far i know i am yesterday was amazing weather wise clear blue skies and sun and warm all day and uh the kids are having a great time on spring break playing with uh, the kids in the neighborhood and being around the house uh, so hopefully that'll continue I don't know about you, but I'm really enjoying entering into the details of these Holy Week readings. The, uh, the four Gospels give us more on these final days leading up to Jesus' crucifixion than any other portion of his life. It's almost as if the writers uh, intentionally provided so much information and imagery uh, that their readers were empowered to journey through Holy Week with Jesus. And uh, I think that's what I've really grown to appreciate about them. Um, and then when we combine that with the immersive reading approach that we've taken throughout these devotionals, there seems to be no end to the depth of these passages. Our, our reading today, um, in particular for me, really starts to amplify the drama of Jesus' final days and and builds anticipation for what's going to come on Thursday and Friday. So uh, let's get into the reading and begin with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for today. We uh, thank you for this great story that you've told through Jesus and for giving us the opportunity to enter into it. We pray that um, because you know us completely and know exactly what we need, we pray that um, you would speak to each of us um, in ways that meet our needs and that reveal yourself to us uh, in a new way that allow us to take our next step of faith. And uh, God, we thank you in advance for this time and believe that you're going to move. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today I'm going to read Mark chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard, she broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you and you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. As we reflect on this passage together, I find it interesting to see the contrast in how, uh, how different people orient themselves to Jesus. 
there are four principal characters in this account in addition to Jesus. The chief priests and the lawyers together are one character. Simon the leper is another. Uh, the woman who poured perfume on Jesus' head is one. And then the last one is Judas. I encourage you to consider how these four characters are instructive to us as we identify how we might apply this passage to our own lives. We, let's start with Simon. We only get a few words on him, but clearly he had a positive stance towards Jesus. Mark doesn't tell us much about Simon. He only refers to him as the leper. Because of what we know about leprosy in the Jewish context, though, it's safe to presume that his real name was probably more like Simon, who was the leper. My belief is that uh, he had been one of the many desperate people who Jesus had healed. Uh, he didn't welcome Jesus into his home and host him for dinner out of mere courtesy or a sense of obligation. He did it joyfully as a heartfelt response for the new life Jesus had given him. Uh, another one who took a positive stance toward Jesus was the woman who anointed his head with what Mark described as very expensive perfume. We're reminded of a similar account that we read last week from Luke 7 when uh, the sinful woman poured perfume on Jesus' feet and wiped them with her hair as he had dinner with uh, uh, people at another Simon's house, that time Simon the Pharisee. My sense, though, is that while these two accounts are similar, uh, the actions of these women came from a different place. I've shared before my sense that the actions of the woman in Luke 7 were unscripted, or at least only vaguely so. Um, she was in some ways uh, acting unconsciously as uh, she was responding to the grace of Jesus. In today's passage, though, things feel different, at least for me. How do you read it? How do you, uh, or what do you see? When you imagine this woman approaching the table and pouring perfume on Jesus' head in front of everyone, I see a woman being intentional. I see a, a woman honoring Jesus in an uh, incredibly vulnerable, heartfelt way. She wasn't afraid to be seen, wasn't afraid of what people would think of her. I think that it was one of those moments where in her mind, it was just Jesus and her in the room. The Gospels tell us that in the weeks leading up to his final days in Jerusalem, Jesus spoke openly about his impending death. We have the benefit of hindsight, of course, when we read the scriptures, but it's still a bit mysterious to me how his closest friends became so blind to his words and so disoriented when they came true exactly as he told them they would. In fact, it seems to be the women who travel with Jesus who were the ones who truly heard him. Uh, aside from the Apostle John, the Gospels tell us uh, of none of his disciples being at the cross with him at his crucifixion. None of them aside from his mother and a group of women. In verse 8 of today's reading, Jesus told those around the dinner table that uh, she had prepared his body for burial. I wonder how much she knew about what was coming. Uh, like the others, she had listened to him during those times when he had spoken about his death. Um, but did she return home and think about them on her own? 
Did she internalize them uh, so much so that now she was picking up on where things were headed for him? Uh, or had he told her the details more specifically and the timing for how they were going to play out uh, behind the scenes, away from the rest of the crowd? We can't know for sure, but I think for her, this was goodbye. This was her thank you and her I love you for all that Jesus had done for her. The, the chief priests, the lawyers, and Judas took quite a different stance towards Jesus, didn't they? Mark makes clear that the chief priests and the lawyers had turned on Jesus well before this event. He wrote that they were already in the process of scheming how to arrest and kill Jesus. Judas is a different story, though. It's almost as if we see him turn right before our eyes through the course of this story. Let's take a look at each one of these two final characters. We've read before about how valuable these vials of perfume were. Mark tells us here that this particular one was worth uh, someone's income for more than an entire year. How much would that be in today's money? $40,000, $50,000, more than that? When we think in these terms, it grabs our attention even more that this woman felt that it was worth honoring Jesus with it, that it was worth it to her to pour it out on him rather than to use it in any other way. Others, though, clearly disagreed. The text tells us that certain people, presumably the religious leaders and the legal experts, became upset with her and were openly critical of her. What was the big deal, though? I mean, honestly, the, the perfume was hers. Shouldn't she have been able to use it however she wanted to? The negative response to her action uh, shows us, I think, one of the dangers of religion. Namely, the danger that religion can become an idol. It can take the place of God in our lives. The great irony is that we can exchange loving God with serving God and become stingy and judgmental in the process. Serving God can become just another avenue in our lives for control and competition, another way in which we're tempted to express superiority over others. Worst of all, we can assume God's position in the lives of others and judge them for how they are or how they're not fulfilling our definition of what it is to follow Jesus. Apparently, Jesus didn't have a problem with what this woman did because he defended her. Why are you bothering her? He said, she's done a beautiful thing to me. Jesus knew the intentions of her heart that she was expressing her love toward him. We don't call it extravagance when a lover surprises his bride with dinner that's a hundred dollars a plate or, or a ring that took him a year to save for. We call that love. Why then should someone be criticized for showering her Lord with honest affection? God is a God of abundance. The poor will always be with you, Jesus said, and God will always supply the resources needed to meet the needs of the poor as his followers reach out to him. I mean, God is the God of the universe. He made everything. He has power over everything. 
of course he's going to give us the time, the money, the energy, the abilities that we need to do good in the world. We get into trouble, though, when we assume his position and believe that it's up to us to delegate and to manage heaven's budget. As we read everything else that Jesus would go on to say in these few verses, we really find nothing that comes off as particularly offensive. Yet yet in verse 10, we're told that Judas then went to the chief priest to betray Jesus. This doesn't exactly feel like a logical progression in the story. So what happened? Let's think about this for a moment. Judas had been with Jesus for nearly his entire ministry. He had been selected early on as one of the 12 apostles, the 12 closest disciples to Jesus. He had heard Jesus' teaching and been up close for his miracles. He had walked and eaten and choked around with Jesus. So how could he do this? As I've reflected on the narrative of the Gospels and the many details that were given about Holy Week in particular, my sense is that Judas's expectations for his life with Jesus had gone unmet. Being okay with this woman's waste and going on and on again about his own death reinforced his skepticism that Jesus was going to assume a position of power. He realized that Jesus wasn't going to overthrow the Roman government. He wasn't going to make uh, the Twelve some sort of princes or governors in a new kingdom. He had given his life to Jesus for the past three years. And for what? He wasn't going to make it big. This ship was going down, and it was time for him to make something of himself. As we close our time together today, I think we would do well to take stock of how we're relating to Jesus right now. Is there joy and love and affection in our relationship with him? Or are we distracted and perhaps even consumed with anger, bitterness, and discontent? When is the last time that we've poured out our perfume, so to speak, to him? In other words, when's the last time we expressed our love for him in a way that was vulnerable and deeply authentic, maybe even embarrassing, if no one knew what was going on inside our hearts? My encouragement to you, especially if you're sensing that you're being tempted towards bitterness, like your life with God just isn't working out, that you be honest with him about it. I truly believe that as Judas would have pulled Jesus aside and said, I'm sorry, but I'm mad. I thought following you was going to be a lot better than it's turned out. I want to be satisfied and and joyful just to know you, but honestly, I'm not. I feel my heart needing something more, and I I know that it's wrong. I, I truly believe that if Judas did that, then the Lord would have comforted him. He, he wouldn't have been angry or disappointed with Judas. He would have hugged him and told him that it was okay and that he was proud of him for being brave enough to confess it. And I think he would have showed him a way forward toward a life of a life-giving relationship with himself. I think that same invitation exists for each one of us. And so I encourage you, if, if you find yourself in that position, to turn to him today and pour out your heart. Let's pray together. God, we do thank you for the vivid imagery 
in these texts for the authenticity of the characters and the authenticity that you call us to. Uh, we pray for uh, the boldness to do an honest self-assessment and that if uh, we find ourselves um, discouraged or disconnected from you, uh, bitter in our relationship with you, or um, upset or wondering that things aren't really measuring up the way that we expected them to, that we just be honest about that and bring that to you. Uh, we pray that you would be gracious and loving toward us, and we believe that you will be. Uh, we know that you're a good father that wants the best for his children, that wants to give good gifts to us. So, God, we ask for the gift of forgiveness. We ask for the forgiveness of uh, redemption and the chance to restart. Um, and we pray for revelation that you would give us that next step of faith, uh, the next way in which we need to respond to your goodness and your loving kindness. Uh, to return to you, to grow closer in our relationship with you, and to live the life that you've created us to live. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.